game, looking at pictures upon the wall. I need a little elbow room, I need spaceman, that ain't all. Get home first thing, you know, my folks jump on my case. Get a job, take the dishes out, put the trash back in its place someday when I'm a man. I'm gonna put them in their place, cause my old man's a fatso. The truth will set you free, but first, it will turn you on. And look, if we're being honest, the truth is that Brad F. For the love of Arby's, Henderson and I, Tanya, Mike D, are watching every shot on video ever made and reporting back here at T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. The T-H-E stands for the, and we are the, S-O-V podcast. Brad, for the love of Arby's, man, how are you? Mm. That was a good beef and cheddar, but I'm here. With you, can we? Can you believe that we're eating beef and cheddars this early in the morning? I look <laughs> at at this hour of the morning. I can't even believe I exist on the same celestial plane as you, Brad F. Henderson. I'm just, I'm in love. I got the beef and cheddar, and that just makes everything more delightful. And I'm I, and I'm drinking coffee with my beef and cheddar. Like, is that gross? I don't know, but it tastes good to me. Hey, man, what's good for the heart? is good for the gander. That's what they say. This week, we have a very exciting show. We are diving into 1983's Sledgehammer and 1984's Blonde Death. Boner alert. That's just something I'm going to say. Boner? Yeah. Whenever I get boners on the show, instead of trying to hide them and conceal them, especially like around you, I'm just going to yell out boner alert. So that way, you know what I have going on down here. And I think that will if also you conceal bone. I will cry. Yeah, and I think if, you know, the audience knows that there's a boner alert happening, they kind of know what's happening behind the scenes. So I think it's a really good idea. Right. Or it's like Pee Wee's Playhouse, like the, 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 the word of the day. Like they could play along too and scream when they hear the word. When they when we have a boner alert on T H E S O V P O D, and you're like, oh dude, I am sporting bone as well. Take it out, flaunt it, flail it, play with it, do what you gotta do. When Brad has a boner alert, so say we all. We are looking at 1983's Sledgehammer and 1984's Blonde Death. Though that date can be contested, we'll get to that later. But before we get to those co-headliners. Let's meet the opening act. Brad, do you love love? I love love because love is everything. Love is Mike Delaney. Love Mm. is blonde death. Love Mm. is Arby's. (laughs) Oh, baby doll. Love is all those things. I, you know, Brad, I love love too. So, so Brad and I thought we'd share the love love with y'all loves. So thank you to everyone that tuned in last week and listened to the show. But especially thank you, nay, love you, fuck you, like the good kind of fucking, the good like love and fucking. Fuck you, in fact, to the folks that took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. Brad, have you read some of these reviews? I have uh, glanced at these reviews, and the reason why I have just glanced is that it's overwhelming, 
and I can't take it. Well, here's what you need to take, and you tell me when you get a boner alert, okay, Brad? Okay. You tell everybody when you get the bone. So, Brad, LB DeBarge wrote, If you ever loved browsing video stores for the greatest in low-budget cinema, you need to subscribe now. Almost there. Almost? Yeah, well, almost. hopefully if you're listening, and of course, you know, you are, you are already subscribed, but get a friend to subscribe, yeah? Or, you know, just get a friend. They'll, they'll, they'll love you, and maybe they'll love us, too. Friends, let friends download the Shot on Video podcast, and friends, don't let friends have road sodas. Right? Friends... Don't let friend. I don't know. I'm going to work the math out on that later. I've had a couple road sodas before we recorded this morning. Hey, Louis Scarface. Louis, Louis Scarface. Louis Scar. Joe. Louis Scarface called us Bert and Ernie in his review. Whoa. Whoa. Now, I Mac like Masters. That. Yeah. And Mac Masters. They were kind of gay for each other, right? Jarethus. Listen to this. Okay. Mac Masters and Darethus both mentioned sexual tension in their reviews. <laughs> so I think the Burton Ernie reference worked out, Scarface. I, I, I think Burton there's Ernie a gang theme with these reviews. And do you know who else is gay? Yeah, who? Who? Us. Me. Goddamn right. For you. Brad? Yes, sir. How do you make friends? Make friends? Um, I have an odd way of making friends. Uh, my way is... Uh, it's might be considered... Uh, not frowned upon, per se, but... Um, I make friends by joking around a lot. And um, it's hmm. almost like if I weed people out. Like, if they can tolerate me being a total jerk... And the first time I meet them and they come around the second time, then I know they're a keeper. Aww. So, um. Brad, do you know how I make friends? How? Tell me. Brad, ask me how I make friends. Um, Mike to lay me. That's what I'm going to call you now. Mike to lay me. Um, folks, if you. Brad, ask me how I make friends. How, folks, listen to Mike D about how he makes friends. How do you make friends? Okay. Okay, I make friends by having uh, listener friends, like friends of friends, uh, rate, review, and share our show. I only exist in podcasts and on the Twitter.com, so I, I can only make friends if you rate, review, and share. Please, God damn it, give us some feedback. And look, I'm going to be very specific right now. Please listen. And Brad, I, I apologize if I threw you under the proverbial bus with what I'm about to say. Oh, God. But if you have something... If you have something nice to say about the show, you go to fucking iTunes and you rate, review us, and then and then you share us. If you have something mean to say about the show, you take it to at Brad F. Henderson on Twitter. If you have if you have something just kind of like a non sequitur about the show or uh, like a, a boner gif or something, you send that to at Mike D underscore splat on Twitter dot coms backslash twitters and if you just if look if you just want to share the love and just do the right thing and look you don't you don't go one way or the other for me or brad or love or hate 
All you need to do is at T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D and just tell us what you think. Oh, shit. Brad. Yes. Brad. Yo. Brad. I'm here. Brad. Oh, okay. Can you tell the listeners where we're recording this week? We Look, we... We're in fucking Hollywood, baby. Hollywood! (laughs) So all the way from New New Orleans to fucking Hollywood on this beautiful, beautiful Friday morning. Knowledge. Knowledge. I mean, this is a gorgeous Friday. Friday, Brad. This is a gorgeous Friday at Hollywood. I mean... I mean, we've walked the strip. Oh, we've ate some good food. We stopped at Arby's. I mean, and now we're recording we the show. We stripped in Hollywood. We stripped for Arby's in Hollywood. We stripped for roast beef and cheddar. Horsey's better. We have we've been up since we recorded last. Like that's what it feels like. We had like. to hitch and suck dick to get here. We had to hitch and suck dick. That's right, we are in beautiful West Hollywood, California, backdrop for James Robert Baker's Blonde Death. Hey, Brett, tell us what you know about Hollywood. I mean, what is there, there's so much to learn about this place, but it was just little little tidbits that I found out. We did uh, we did one of those tours, Segway tour, Mike uh, fell down, he repeatedly, he does not know how to use a Segway whatsoever, so it was pretty funny. Plus, he was drinking some road sodas doing so, so that was... But no, seriously, I love you, I love you. But um, during our little tour, uh, you know, we went past a lot of the theaters and saw the Hollywood sign. But did you know that prior to 1910, there were no movie theaters in the Hollywood district? They were actually banned? What? That's crazy to me. And like... In, like, 1909, you couldn't go watch fucking, like, James Bond episode zero? No. Well, funny enough, there wasn't any James Bond movies yet. But, you know, being (laughs) in Hollywood, there wasn't any movie theaters and they were banned. That's mind-blowing to me. But, hey, you know, here we are um, recording uh, years after Blonde Death was made in, uh, in California. And we're seeing, we saw a couple, so we saw Sean Penn today. Uh, He was very uh, abrasive and um, he didn't sign my I Am Sam poster. I actually carry an I Am Sam poster with me and he just kind of bent it and I don't know, it was really, can we talk about something else? Well, he helped all those Haitian kids cross the street and uh, and he waved that gun at, uh, at Madonna and then, but hey, Brad, did you know, fun, fun little Hollywood fun fun, did you know that Alice Cooper, yes, the same Alice Cooper, did you know that Alice Cooper helped save the Hollywood sign when it was falling apart in the early 1970s? Did you know that? He, I think he bought out specifically the, the first L in Hollywood. And did you know that if there weren't Two L's in Hollywood, it would be Hollywood. And I think that's a Marilyn Manson reference. And Marilyn Manson ripped off most of his career, Alice Cooper. How about that? I just fucking connected those dots. That's not even in my notes. Well, we will get to Blonde yeah. Death a little later. Can we not but put down Manson during the show? Up. I mean, <laughs> Marilyn, hey man, Marilyn he is might disposable be people. Did you just combine two of his songs? I did. 
I did. He is look. He's he's the god of fuck. And when you get uh, a boner alert, the god of fuck will will come to your dope show. Hey, look, <laughs> we'll get to more stupid shit later. But um, first up is David Pryor's masked horror piece. Yes, 1983's Sledgehammer. Brad, as we do all the time before we jump into to a feature. Look, man, I want to do, like I called it on the last show, some 1995 TBS bullshit. I want some dinner and a movie. What the fuck are we eating while we watch David Pryor's Sledgehammer? I tell you what we're going to fucking fix. We're going to fix some Totino's fucking pizza rolls. Like, I, I don't think there's a better food sometimes than just pizza rolls. Pizza rolls is a delicacy if you fix them correctly. Uh, A lot can go wrong when fixing a pizza roll. Uh, For for one, the microwave is completely 100% out of the question. Absolutely not. Uh, You need to take the time. I know you want to eat that food now, but, you know, start it up. Preheat your oven, put them in, go take a shit or something. You know, they only got to cook for like 15, 15 minutes. But you have to get them just perfect to where they start to pop on the sides. And a little and a little bit starts to ooze. That's when you know. Then pull them out and let them sit on your counter or on your plate, however you prefer, if you're going to sit down and start the movie. I like to eat while the movie's going on. So I like to let my food cool maybe during the credits and then start eating. Like, I don't like to eat before the movie. I like to eat during the movie. And I'm also a quiet eater. I have I have movie etiquette, chip etiquette. I have popcorn etiquette. I know how to eat crunchy foods in a quiet movie. But pizza rolls, they're somewhat quiet. But there's something about taking that pizza roll, putting it in your mouth, and then biting down on it. And then this cheese, the combination the pepperoni, the sausage oozes out and then goes in your mouth. And it's just, it's just perfect. Oh, it, but Brad, sweetheart, I am sorry to cut you off. It doesn't just ooze out. How do you like it when it drips back into your throat? That warm, boner alert. fucking greasy boner alert. Yeah. And, and mind you, we know that we're probably not talking about the healthiest foods uh, during the show. We're also not talking about food. We're talking about dick. Yeah. Am I right? Correct. Oh, okay. But okay, Totino's is like our code. That's like you, our safe. You word. also need to, you know, spread this out a little bit so you're not eating bagel bites and, uh, you know, anti-tizers and pizza rolls every weekend. Um, but I think watching Sledgehammer it takes me back, and I guess the reason why I picked Totino's pizza rolls combination, um, is because Sledgehammer reminds me of being a kid. Because that's when I originally saw Sledgehammer. And I remember staying up late during the summer. My mom um, used to help me uh, purchase and bid off of eBay. Uh, you know, I was like 12 or 13 at the time. Like, bought box lots of VHS tapes off of eBay. And they were fairly cheap at the time because they weren't, you know, coming back at that point. And I remember getting Sledgehammer on VHS and uh, and watching it, I used to sit in the back room, our TV room, and like in the back back den, um, 
turning down the lights, fixing like, you know, not two boxes of pizza rolls and, and watching, watching these films and and two films. I specifically remember um, Sledgehammer for one. And the other one was eight legged freaks with David Arquette. I know that's a weird title to remember, but I specifically remember watching that. Um, And that's why I picked Totino's pizza rolls. Jesus fucking Christ with the waxing poetic about your mom and fucking boxes of VHS. Brad, I am here. I am your current lover. Can you please ask me what I would eat with this goddamn movie? Hey, Mike, what would you scarf down during Sledgehammer? Oh, thanks for asking, Brad. I didn't think you were going to. I would look. I'm a simple man and I need I need two simple bowls of something for Sledgehammer. And I need I need one bowl of mashed potatoes and I need another bowl of yellow French's mustard and that is it. Look, the mashed potatoes are for eating, but the yellow mustard, that's going to be for something completely different. And we will get to what that different is as we jump right now into Brad's most vivid memory, his his most luscious memory of watching VHS tapes with his mama, his mommy, his mother. Brad, what is Sledgehammer about? Tell me all about it, buddy. Go, go. Sledgehammer is about a bunch of friends that are going to have a party that end up at a home. <laughs> I don't know if this home is occupied, if they're squatting or whatnot. Um, I can't remember. I don't ever think it's said. But it turns out <laughs> to be haunted I guess, question mark, by a spirit of a boy whose ghost has progressed to a man who carries a sledgehammer around and beats the shit out of people. Everything about this movie is insane. The dialogue is great. The slow motion scenes are wonderful. And I'm not going to spoil it just yet, but there's a scene in this movie that Mike and I are going to talk about for at least five minutes. (laughs) <laughs> I think I think the scene itself goes on for about five minutes. Yeah. Actually, I know exactly how long that scene goes on for. I timed it uh, recently, but yeah, I we 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 don't want to bury the lead here. This is a film by the very prolific David A. Pryor, and it of course stars David's uh, the late David A. Pryor, and it of course stars his uh, his brother, the wonderful uh, Ted Pryor. And it has, Brad is 100% correct. It is just a motley crew cast. It is charming as fuck, these 30 something year olds playing uh, uh, teenagers, of course. You know, it's it's the 80s, it's shot on video. Playing, uh, playing teenagers, enjoying, just, they keep calling it fun. They're like, let's have fun, let's have fun. And we'll get into specifics about the movie, but. What these folks do for maybe the first like 35 minutes of the movie does certainly uh, uh, qualify as fun. <laughs> like, you know, they're drinking, they're singing folk songs, they're playing theater games, they're doing they're doing wacky voices with each other, touching butt, kissing. Like it's all it's all Bummer. fun stuff. But <laughs> yeah, absolute. Well, Ted Pryor, he's a a Playgirl Playmate of the Month, man. We'll we'll get to that a little Ted bit later. Ted Pryor is a ripped but, uh, motherfucker. He's he's uh, look. Well, uh, fine. We'll do it right now, Brad. Look, because I know you like Can those ripped motherfuckers. I know Ted you like Pryor. the charming motherfuckers. Let's get in the Ted Pryor right now. How would you enter Ted Pryor? 
Um, which I would which door would I would start would by watching Deadly Prey because I think that's the best intro to Ted Pryor. See, I like the front door. I like uh, I like Sledgehammer. You like the back door, something a little bit later. But uh, but look, why don't you and I both get into Ted Pryor at the same time? If if you if you side with Mike D, you go in the front door. If you side with Brad, you go in the back door. We could all do it at the same time. Uh, you could go in the back door at the same time. We go in the front door, and then we'll just meet afterwards and talk about how everything was. Yeah, I I agree. But there, you know, in all seriousness, there's there's something about uh, Ted Pryor and David Pryor films that if you guys haven't jumped into yet or know who we're talking about. They have a long filmography um, working together. Of course, they're brothers, but there's such a great camaraderie um, with them and their friends and the films that they have made. There's something very special about it that, you know, you can tell that unity. They used to work. I mean, they work together all the time and they would just make one movie right after the other. It is just it's it's a time capsule of like family home videos in a way, and it's, it's Sledgehammer is a great way to start it off because they started off really small, and then they got some money, they got some bigger bigger budget films that they did, um, nothing major, but um, you know they continue to make movies up until um, you know David's death, which was what a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Yeah. Um, and they even made yeah. it made even the sequel to Deadly yeah. Prey, Deadliest Prey, that came out like 2014, somewhere around there. And um, just just a beautiful, mm-hmm. remarkable history uh, between those two. Yeah, the movies may not be amazing, but uh, like I said, there's something about it. Very much how we speak so highly about shot on video, about how special it is to us and how we feel. There's something really special about David and Ted's uh, careers. And this is kind of the stepping stone to seeing that. Throughout uh, Ted's career, I mean, he uh, we'll we'll mostly focus on uh, Sledgehammer, so I don't want to get too far off track. But throughout most of Ted's career, he plays... Uh, he plays like the macho guy. He play he, like he's very well built. He looks like an action hero. He looks like a DTV uh, Jean Claude Van Damme <laughs> or a Dolph Lundgren may, is maybe a better description. But he has such an eccentric uh, a charm to him, and he puts these little ticks uh, in his characters, even even when he's not in a in a film <clears throat> as as a star, like um like Killer Workout comes to mind. But he he puts these little playful uh, ticks in his characters that, as as an actor myself, uh, <laughs> if you believe that, uh, as an actor myself, I see him as uh, as a very big drama kid, and I think that, and we're circling back, I think that Sledgehammer is probably the best reel that he has for showing how playful and charming and like what a big fucking drama kid he is. I I can't think of uh of a more charming Ted Pryor performance than uh Sledgehammer. Um, How about you? Honestly Brent? no cuz there's there's something about his character in this to where he plays everything. Uh usually he's the action uh star and in this he gets to be, you know, the somewhat hero, but he also gets to be that tender lover. He also gets to be that uh, understanding friend. Um, mm-hmm. 
so he, he gets to mm-hmm. he gets to play it all in this one, and I think I think you're right. I think that's where kind of this goes, um, and it really is kind of his movie in a way, um, just because with mainly I think that's just due to his on screen presence because he owns the screen when he's on there, um, especially just that. Like he he makes me like that scene when he's sitting outside the door on those concrete steps and he's got his tight jeans on and his shirt off and he's playing the guitar and he's just singing, playing the guitar and he takes that drink of that beer. I'm like, man, I just want to be Ted Pryor right now. Like he seems so relaxed and so happy just jamming and picking out there. Yeah, I, I know I was going to say, I know that dude in real life. I don't mean Ted Pryor, but I know that guy that, uh, that Ted Pryor's playing in, uh, in Sledgehammer. And I think if you've hung around enough, uh, shitty, uh, parties, you know, that are somewhat adjacent to the country or somewhat adjacent to a college and a country, you, you, you know, this person too, that the person that is, uh, you know, that longing artistic soul <laughs> that's blessed with that athletic body and the athletic prowess, you know, and they also have uh, like a musical talent or they have like some just geeky, you know, left minded uh, way about them that you wouldn't expect necessarily, you know, based on uh, preconceived notions like a jock to have or whatnot. But I, I know that dude and I remember hanging out with him after the the place where we worked. Um, like one of the first times I hung out with this dude, I won't I won't name him. He has a he has a famous name, but he's not a famous person, so I don't want to drag anybody. But uh, but I was hanging out with him, and he started singing me folk songs. And the first two people that came to mind, fo- oh, folk songs he wrote, Brad, like you know, of of the people songs that he wrote himself. Uh, the first two people that came to mind were. Uh, David Hess and uh, Ted Pryor in, in Sledgehammer. And then I, I was remembering that again today when I was kind of jotting down recollections about the movie. But there, there is there is a pretty strong correlation, I could at least uh, determine, between Ted Pryor and uh, David Hess in uh, uh, Last House on the Left in particular, as far as charm, as far as like behind-the-scenes talent, as far as... like scream persona i mean of course uh hess is much more the heavy as krug but um and you know ted Pryor's much more sweet uh in his role but they they both struck me as like oh my god it's kind of like in that moment in that in that very short what it would have been like nine year period like there's david hess and ted Pryor, and they're very similar to me you listen to the the music that he came up with for last house on the left and you're like that I mean, at least in in my estimation, that that cannot be a person that uh, that wanted to go Henry Rollins all the time and just smash people down. But uh, yeah, I remember the first time I saw Sledgehammer, and I knew Ted Pryor was, of course, the name of the star of it. And I saw his name pop up in the the credits as doing music, and I was like, oh. This will be a train wreck, and I I fucking love it. I love it. That uh that montage of uh of him and his girl, you know, oh like my gosh, in slow motion. That <laughs> scene is at least five minutes long of them just, <laughs> and it's not even a mon- and it's not a montage. It's just slow motion of them walking through, kind of grass. 
Well, it's montage in like just the literal French uh, definition yeah, of the word. Yeah, no, no, I know. Together. But as, as yeah. far as like <laughs> right. multiple scenes or time passing, there isn't anything. They just said, hey, walk from here to there. It took them five seconds, but they strung it out to like five minutes. Uh, starting off with Fle- Sledgehammer, we have um, a, a really great and disturbing opening with um, with this mother shoving her son into this closet basically just to get away from him so she can fuck uh bad mom of the year right here um and i guess uh in, during that sequence when she's like no kids no husband and there he's she's and obviously they're they're cheating on their spouses and they're both like no kids no husband no wife let's just fuck i mean in no time at all she drops to her knees and i'm guessing I'm guessing some head action is going on uh, because we definitely get some head action in a second here when our uh, sledgehammer shows up and bashes the skull of uh, of her boyfriend. And that's where we start with the opening of the sledgehammer. And why this is so effective is that it does have that weird, like, dreamlike, misty... The mise-en-scene. Right, right. And also trashy and dirty. And we can feel we could feel that. And then all of a sudden we have the sledgehammer that pops up. But we also have this awesome like like bam bam each time that sledgehammer comes down. Um and it's and and it really is it's very effective. And I, I've always, I've always really liked that sa- uh, sound that they've that they created for the film when the killer shows up. That's true, and 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 that sound, that uh, that synth chord that they play for for the sledgehammer in particular, it's not dissimilar from the stings that say if you're more familiar with uh, with like boarding house when you see the. Uh, those giallo gloves show up and like the, it goes into the thermal vision and you hear the <laughs> and it, and you get those, I like those same kind that. of synth chords going on there. You like it? I will do it for you all the time after the show. Uh, it's not dissimilar from that, but I do love how those first couple chords of uh, 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 the sledgehammer uh, theme dovetail into just the overall synth score for the film, which I think has a phenomenal score as far as uh, SOV productions are concerned. Brad? Um, yeah, I, I think I think it 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 sets up this really tense... We're talking about shot on video here. This very tense sequence, but it also goes into this other awesome song, in a way, introducing our bunch of party people immediately following and and that's where because like unlike certain films we usually have that killer opening and then we have the credits and then we just we keep we keep chugling until until we heat uh you know we hit another uh big scene but immediately following that awesome opening we are introduced to the best group of people possible and we're not talking about your horny teenagers these people are horny but we're not talking about the horny teenagers that are getting away um we're talking about the most convoluted group 
and seen possible in this movie. First off, the people that the party people, the bunch of party people that get out of this uh, van. Brad, can I cut you off right there? Sure, I'm cut sure, you off sure, right sure, sure. I'm sorry. You see, look, I I agree with you 100 percent with this. And th- this group of people, this group of actors that uh, David pulled together uh, to 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 play the the comrades of Ted's character Chuck, look, it's just worth us to go down the line. I'm gonna say the actor's name and their character name, and then we'll be able to paint a picture for who each of them are uh, a little bit later. But we have Ted Pryor as Chuck. I like that. The very American name Chuck. Okay. He's the William. Course, he's the William Zabka Lin- of the group. But yeah, <laughs> but yes. he's not a complete. Dick. Linda McGill. Linda McGill plays Joni. Okay, I like I like the name Joni. Uh, it calls to mind Joni Mitchell, who's uh, a, a very folksy like of the people uh, singer, and uh, that goes well with Ted's music. Then we have John Eastman, who's one of my favorites. He's he's of course the bearded guy that looks like he's going to be a. Uh, the the RA on Saved by the Bell, the college years. He plays John. John Eastman plays John. And I I have a theory about people who play people with <laughs> their own first names. And then we have Jeannie Shear. She plays Mary. She's kind of like the the Mary Ann of the group. She's not a, she's not Ginger, and uh, she's not very exciting. But we have one of my favorites. Oh my God, Tim Aguilar is Jimmy, the uh, the young virginal. Young, virginal, oh God, mustachioed, yes. mulleted <laughs> Latino man. The guy who looks like him. he's 45 Sin- but claims he's a virgin in the movie. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he is a virgin claims- in the movie. He doesn't claim. He's obviously a virgin in the film, but it's weird because he's like, pussy, drinking. And then he gets in that uh, situation. He's like, I'm a virgin. Right. It's totally Ken Marino in Wet Hot American Summer. I think that's exactly <laughs> what they're playing uh, with Ken Marino's character. Then there's Sandy Brooke as Carol. And then uh, not Stephen Wright, but Steve Wright plays Joey, one of our first uh, on-screen victims. And then uh, I keep calling him Michael Shannon, but his name's not Michael Shannon. I can't pronounce his name. It's Look, if you're if you're Irish, I'm not racist against you. I just I can't pronounce your fucking names. Michael Shananan. Michael Shananan. He uh he's of course the mother's lover, and Mary Mendez plays the mother, and then uh Justin Greer in a very great uh child performance plays the boy who Brad and I will talk about here very soon enough. So when Brad says there's a very motley crew of friends, <laughs> I, I what what were your exact words? I, I forget. I, I said convoluted. Convoluted. convoluted group. You said. <laughs> it's, it's it's a group in a scene of of what happens. So this van pulls up, and for some reason it's it's their van, but they have a driver who's going to take this van somewhere else while they're staying at this house that they have rented. I I don't know. I've seen the movie a few times, but I still am not clear. Of where this house, like who owns this house, and and I mean I know they're on vacation, so I guess it's just a vacation home. But um, the the dr- driver leaves, but before he leaves, they all pour out of this van, and they are excited to be there. They're going to party, and they mention it a few times. But the random shit that they pull out of the van, it's like they're cleaning it out. 
like this guy owned this van and they're cleaning it out because they're pulling out trash bags that are empty. Um, they're pulling out like uh, an empty cooler. And then we have our one virgin guy who's who's really muscular and he pulls that big cooler out that holds all that beer. And but they're, they're pulling it look like towels and just uh, honestly, they're throwing everything on the ground. And then our first victim like does this tumble on it out of nowhere and he's just laying on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what is really happening in this scene? It's like they had no direction, no idea at all. It was just kind of like turning the camera on and hey, get your get everything out of the van. It's like almost like if it was the supplies for them to really stay while they're filming this movie in this home. Um, it's just a very odd, odd sequence. And then seeing our people, because it's like, are they supposed to be teenagers or all of these like, you know, 30 and 40 year old people getting out of this van? And what are they actually doing together? So it's not really clear of their age, but by the looks, especially our what the John guy who looks like he could, uh, you know, smash even Ted Pryor. Um which I wanted to kind of see those two throw down in the movie. I think that would have been pretty fun to see, but just a, just a weird group of people, man. And, but, but it works. It works because, uh, we have so many different types of people, uh, in, in this situation together. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think as viewers, um, especially as, uh, uh, Americans who are used to digesting these big Hollywood movies with, very like simple narratives and uh anyway i i think we get super fixated on things like the ages of characters because what's weird is it feels like they're supposed to be teenagers based on the way they're behaving or the way they're talking to each other or the way they they interact and have relationships with one another but they could just very well be very immature uh, 20-somethings or early 30-somethings because Ted's character, Chuck, is, of course, uh, engaged to his his girlfriend, Joni. And, that you know, that's a point of contention very early on in the film about why they need this weekend out is because he's having trouble uh, with his, not necessarily his commitment to Joni, but just he's having, like, an existential crisis of is this the person he wants to be with forever and who is he and who are they and who is she, like, separately, together, apart, whatever. But my point is they're definitely not teenagers, <laughs> but they're playing teenagers. Well, I mean, even the things that they say to one another, once, once Ted Pryor, um, Chuck and Joni... After they unload the van, they walk over and they have a serious conversation, um, mainly about their relationship. But there is a part where uh, Chuck says to Joni, how about some country noogies and some sweet and low? I want to know yeah. what that is. That's That's got to be some kind of fucking Jerry Reed reference I don't understand. I, I don't know. It seems like... That it seems like a reference that I don't get tonight. Since we have that one bed, um, that single bed in our yeah. hotel room, can you, in your mind, show me what country noogies and sweet and low are? Uh, girl, I could show you what a cunt 
Renugi is. I uh, I don't know what the sweet and low is, but I I I want to be your equal and and find out and feel that splenda. I want to feel that splenda. Do you see what I did there? No, I I, Stevia. I I got it. You don't have to ruin it. You you I got it. Mm. I got it. Stevia. So yeah, and then after that, of course, we have our slow motion scene, and then we get into the party, which is just nonstop drinking and eating um, until some things go off the rails. So we're given our characters, and uh, by this time we know that uh, the boy has killed his parents, or his mom and her boyfriend. Um, a story is told during that sequence of uh, them all together about how this house uh, is uh, there is a murder in the house the you know the boy killed the mom in the living room um, the boy apparently ran off um, and he was never found and we are given this hey this guy is fucking tall the killer in in the movie is one big dude he towers over Ted Pryor in this movie. He, is, he looks like he looks like if uh if like Adam Carolla on Catch a Contractor went and got like one of those cheap Halloween masks with like uh it's it's like clear and it has makeup <laughs> on it Carolla. and you put it on. Jesus. He does the, the killer looks like fucking Adam Carolla. You don't think so? He's got like he's got the, the throwiness yeah. and like the flannel tucks into the jeans. He does. I was thinking he of more does. like the killer, like Larry Zerner as Shelley from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, but just really tall. He's even has he even has the mask in because Shelley has that mask in Friday the Thirteenth, where it's not really a mask. It's just like you know, it's not clear. It's just um, slightly see-through with some like red rosy cheeks and stuff. So it's 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 Shelly. It's a, it's essentially Shelly from uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Even dresses like him. I'm right. You're wrong. That would have been the that would have been the same year. Are you saying the wheel was invented at the at the same time? Yeah. No. I'm just saying of what he looks like to get a better image. I mean. I don't think people want to sit and think about Adam Carolla. I think people would rather be like, oh, Larry Zerner from, you know, uh, Friday the 13th Part 3, Shelly. Okay, well, you play to our glasser, pusher-upper, smarty nerd people, and I will play to our road soda motherfuckers. That's that's what's you're, happening. You're not supposed to drink and drive. Everybody knows this. This party was actually a seance. Is that what you're saying? Uh, what is, what is, uh, what does John say? In, in a scene, <laughs> a scene, a scene, we're doing a scene. We're doing a scene. And this is why That's what I said, a scene. John is a dumbass, but, um, John's a good guy. I, I, I like John's character. So it's just, it's just a weird, like I said, it's, a, it's just a weird barrage, like, of everything that's happening in this movie between the friends and the scenes. So we're having our, our drinking scene, our, our, our seance scene. And then we, what would, I guess next they jump, we have the food food scene. Cause it, like literally there's not a lot that happens until the first murder. It's just one thing right after the other. They have the drinking sequence 
when our virgin like falls back in the chair and then pours like the vodka on his face and everybody laughs. Um, like none of it really makes sense, uh, but it's it's mainly just those two sequences, and then we get into the food fight. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To to backpedal just a second to answer uh your your first query. Yeah. The the first like murder like where you're like oh there's a killer in the house you know the first time since that opening sequence with the mother and the lover. That's not until like forty minutes into the movie. Right. It's but after the food <laughs> around... scene. Right after the the food scene is in the twenty minute mark, and we'll we'll get to that right now. It's a literally, quite literally, there is a three minute, three minutes. It's got to be longer. It feels longer. No, I I timed it. It's one hundred and eighty seconds. It's three minutes where these grown ass motherfucking people are doing some hook bullshit, like throwing food at each other. Uh, rubbing it all over each other's like titties and their their afros and they're just throwing it all over the place for three minutes, uh, for no like obvious purpose besides being like that very lost sequence, the pie fight from the end of Doctor Strange Love. I I think that this is the most Kubrickian reference in a shot on video <laughs> movie, and it's very esoteric, very esoteric at that. Yeah, it really comes out of nowhere. I mean, we can you can see that it was obviously they had this planned, but really give no no backstory like them eating dinner. It's basically them all sitting around this small table in this small room where they can do this sequence with just a bunch of random shit on um the table. And yes, they are eating because John Bets they're going to eat this whole sandwich, yeah, fit this whole sandwich in his mouth. So he does so, and then immediately following, Chuck pours mustard all over Joni, like all over her head. It's really the- what. What do I always say? You can't have a ham sandwich without the mustard. Yeah, and then a pie goes on, and then everybody, like you said, 180 seconds of just nothing but the weirdest food fight if we have a more patient listener out there than than brad and myself and we did not prepare this for the show but i i i want to take a bet and brad i will just bet against whatever you say but brad do you think that the food fight sequence in hook where they throw the the imaginary paint at each other with uh with with that guy from goodwill hunting do you think that's longer or do you think the food fight sequence in sledgehammer is longer um, I've only seen Hook once as a child, but I'm gonna you you fucking tell me what you. I'm think. gonna say Sledgehammer's longer. Okay, and I'll, I'll I'll say Hook's longer. And will one of our brave listeners please just time it out? I I know that the the Sledgehammer one's three minutes. Tell us how long the food fight is in Hook. Uh, I I guess I'm a I'm on Team Sledgehammer, right? Uh, no, you would be on Team Hook. Oh, I'm really hoping it's longer then because I want to win because I will win a blowjob boner alert. So then after our food fight, our massive food fight, um, we slowly dwindle down to um, our characters and and everybody that starts to basically get slaughtered at this point. Um, And I mean, at that point, it becomes a very standard slasher. 
Uh, it's just the countdown of the victims going from room to room. Uh, what's funny in that whole bit with them is that we have a very plain looking house. Like there's no, there's not a lot of furniture. There's no wall art. They're basically in empty rooms. It seems each time. So it's really difficult to tell where these characters are, um, where the killer is and what's really happening. It's, you know, they just go from room to room and, um, you know, he shows up and he slaughters them with is just, it's just gold. And then we have our, our, our kills and, um, you know, Ted Pryor saving the day. So, I mean, I wish there was a little bit more to say after that, but it, like I said, it does become kind of your standard slasher at that point. There is some more to say, because, Brad, I love everything you just said, and I agree 100%, and I wasn't listening. But listen to this. Listen to me. Listen to me now. You know what's so cool about that fucking house? You, you said it's sparsely decorated, but it has super narrow hallways, and because there's nothing in the hallways like... uh like indoor plants or like pictures of loved ones. You could do that thing because it's got the super narrow hallways. Let me be very specific about that. You could do that thing like uh, Jet Li on the cover of Black Mask where you put one leg on one wall and one leg on the other wall and you could do some like cool like judo punches. Then why didn't Ted Pryor do that? Bro, that's what I'm fucking saying and that's what needs to be discussed. We need to talk about the things that people are not talking about. People are already talking about, hey, the killer's kind of a ghost. The killer's kind of a kid. <laughs> the killer's kind of like a nine-foot-tall Adam Carolla that can or cannot open doors Larry and Zerner. can or cannot pass through walls. He can disappear. Yeah, he can, he, but he becomes transparent in when he's walking towards right. the camera, and then he turns into a child and then an adult. And then appears in a room and just kills people. Right, but Brad, you look at those narrow walls and you're like, oh, I could fucking DVD cover blast mask that shit. I could be fucking Jet Li on the cover, man. Like, I could put one leg here, one leg there, and just fucking punch him in the face. And then drop down, punch him in the dick. Because, like... I want to see you in... What um, else are you going to do? In a, in a situation like this to see what you would do. If you would black mask it. You know what we should do? We should start... To, to use our, our good buddy uh, Sean Dureger's, uh business model, we should start like a Patreon and like <laughs> we should we should try to earn money based on uh, friendship because, of course, friends give you money. But based on friendship, uh, listeners, give us money so we can redo Black Mask as an SOV movie. And I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll fucking I'll fucking do it. I'll fucking do it in a second. Ugh. I love Black Mask. And we'll do the... I want to do the dubbed version, too. I don't want to do the, the fucking OG. I, I don't want to have to learn a new language. I, I'm a little xenophobic like that, I suppose. But, uh... <laughs> Brad, should we move right on to, to I, Blonde I, I think Death? we're digging a little anything bit else of a hole here. And, yeah, we, sh- we, should, we should move on to um, what I classify or... Um, is probably my favorite, if not one of the best, shot on video films ever made, and just a really entertaining and great movie in general. Hey, <laughs> look, I'm Team Brad. I don't want to oversell it, but Blonde Death. We're gonna oversell a shit out of this movie. It's fucking essential. It, like I don't understand how. Anyway, we'll, I don't know we'll how get this to it in a second. Made. Brad, what? 
Brad, Brad, what the fuck would you eat with Blonde Death? Just go, hurry up. How about if we have I a word get to, from our sponsor first? Oh, and a word from our sponsor. Put it on, baby, put it on. Introducing Arby's new bacon, beef, and cheddar. Yeah, that's it. It's not ordinary bacon, but thick cut pepper bacon. Lay it on me. And not bland cheese, but hot, tangy cheddar. I do like it hot. Why settle for food you like? Barry never settles. When you can have food you love. Arby's new bacon, beef, and cheddar. Come and get it, baby. Before I got hungry all over again, we were going to talk about your... And all you know, hey, I'm I'm gonna come on record too. Also, my favorite, and I, look, we haven't seen them all, and we have and not I, seen I them all. I know we're only on episode to, two. I know we're only on episode two, but there's a reason why we wanted to cover Blonde Death on episode two, and it's there's something about this movie. Um, it's a it's a little bit longer than most of your shot on video films, but this movie is pro- what maybe about an hour and forty minutes, hour and forty five. I said two hours on I think the last show, and that was just silly to say. But I I, I think it's an hour and f- it's, like it's what out al- it's what hour and thirty six minutes uh before credits. Really? Yes, sir. It seems longer. Um. In a, in a good way. Like, I, I thought this movie, because uh, when I, I meant that by checking the running time. All right. So an hour and a half. It's, it's I guess, no different. I made up all that bullshit. Um, but it is a very smooth hour and a half. And with Blonde Death, um, immediately it grabs you. Uh, and the reason why this is so special, it's not because it's shot on video. Um I don't know if too many movies exist like that are like this. Um, we're dealing with an extremely trashy and fucked up story um, that deals with incest, uh, homosexuality, uh, illegal filming at the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> I mean, we have <laughs> we have just an onslaught of weirdness and things for people to be offended by. Um, so we are given it's it. So Brad, it's kind of like if John Waters was uh, transgressive, right? This is this has this movie has John Waters written all over it, and I honestly hope. Um, and maybe I can we can get John Waters to watch this movie after we talk about it because I feel that he would be very happy and proud of this movie because this kind of one ups a lot of things that he created in a way it it um it, it takes it to another level uh, even a trashier level uh, because I mean John Waters is more fun this movie is kind of mean. And uh, mean spirited and kind of sick and twisted. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 right. Well, it's it got takes, everything. It takes a lot of the tropes and themes from John Waters' movies and it infuses it with that very nihilistic uh, early '80s punk culture. Yeah, it's extremely punk rock. This movie is a hundred percent punk rock, and it's not just because of 
you know, the sound, I mean, we have a great soundtrack mostly by the angry Samoans, um, a small little punk band out of California. Um, but there is just so much going on in this movie. And if, if, if you told me like, as soon as it starts, if you would have spoiled the ending and told me how this movie ends up, I wouldn't believe you. It gets that fucking nutty and crazy. And you just don't expect it. Number one, I mean, the budget of this film had to be under five grand. Um, the budget was $2,000. Okay, yeah. So, man, that's... So, two two grand. And it is... And, and the thing is, is that a lot of... A lot of shot on video, a lot of cheaper films like this, they're... Um, you know, overly violent. There's not a lot of dialogue. This, um, you know, or maybe a lot of chase scenes, killing, stuff like that, stalking, slow motion scenes like in Sledgehammer, things to drag your film out to make it an hour and a half or an hour and 20 minutes. But Blonde Death doesn't fuck around. There's none of that. It's pure dialogue. I mean, this mo- this this movie actually had a script. Like, there isn't very much wandering around or bullshit happening. It's literally dialogue driven. And that's why I appreciate the film so much is because it's, it's harder to make a film feel, uh, you know, not, not overstay its welcome or anything like that, but having a, a low budget film, that's dialogue driven. You have to have good dialogue. You have to have good characters you have to have a lot of things connecting in your movie in order to make that movie fit and not feel like you're watching a four-hour movie. Uh, a lot of times, it 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 does. It has it has great stylized dialogue. <laughs> of course, it has great stylized uh, direction and uh, videography. You know, it, it being shot on video and having that extra layer of of intimacy. But the thing that Blonde Death does that I think uh, really kind of pushes it, at least in my book, it pushes it over to, to like just oozy, gushy love territory for me is the fact that it, it does some um, like heightened reality world building where they obviously play against the fact that, hey, it's shot on video. We can't hide the fact that we're in Anaheim. We can't hide the fact that that's the Magic Kingdom or a.k.a. Disneyland uh, behind us, but what they do is they obviously, uh, and and to comedic effect, because this is very much a dark comedy, uh, they re they redress they rename things that are familiar at that time, 1983, 1984, uh, with with very like punny names. So they call what do they call Disneyland, Brad? Is it don- Donkey Donkey Land? Yeah, Donkey Land. Yeah. And there's there's a very famous Christian uh performer that the shitty I'm not your real mother uh character loves. Uh his name is Pat Goon. Yeah, Pat Goon. Which I, I love a good I love a Pat Boone diss, because fuck Pat Boone his fucking leather jacket in nineteen ninety seven. I hate that fucking guy. I also hate the the fucking journey of the center of the earth with it, well it, that's a whole nother thing. It's not a shot on video. With the, with the fucking Danish guy and the fucking chicken. I hate that fucking movie. But uh, 
But they have all these th- this fun like world building shit that they do that they don't have to do. They could have just easily said that's Disneyland and this guy's uh, playing Pat Boone or you know however they wanted <laughs> Pat to. Pat Boone, to, to my name favorite the, the Christian singer. Yeah, that fucking woke ass evangelical bullshit. I love how. Uh, anyway, I I love Blonde Death. I um so today. Uh, I, I, my, my favorite playwright, I'll, I'll mention his name cause I love this guy so much. Uh, Josh Conkle, he wrote some amazing plays for a company that my partner, uh, Sarah Quake doll and I used to, uh, to work at, but, uh, like he's, he's very, he's very punk rock. He's very, uh, transgress, like as, as far as his, uh, taste in cinema, very transgressive i i asked him if he ever saw blonde death and he said no i thought he would have been just a great guy to have on for two seconds to to give an appreciation but he's buying it right now and uh that's that's the type of person that i want to uh to watch this movie and i i want to appreciate it because you know let me tell you brad josh conkle he grew up to work with danny devito of of course uh matilda and he he grew up to work on uh, uh, a series of unfortunate events with Lemony Snicket himself, so that's that's who we need watching uh, Blonde Death. All the dude, kids everybody needs to watch Blonde Death, and and every fucking body, and and be prepared because uh, you know we we talked about kind of the setup, but this script that they wrote is so like I even was taken back by some of the dialogue that um, that was written. So we're given this uh, mother and father who are um, traveling with uh, their younger daughter. And already there is the dad um, definitely is she's she's a daddy's girl. In a way, and, and and the mom is just a, a total fucking bitch. Think of um uh what is the uh from people under the stairs? Uh uh um what what's 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 mommy's name? Because there's mommy and daddy Wendy Robbie? Yeah, Wendy Robbie. Think Wendy Robbie, but like fucking coked out meth addict. Like that's what this woman's like. Like playing kind of somewhat that character, um, but not loving her child, but basically fucking hates her. So they they get they get to the house and immediately they start to unpack. Um, and right then and there, it it takes this nosedive into knowing what this household has and what this ho- household is about. At first, it's just you know a dysfunctional family. Which it gets even more dysfunctional after that. So uh, they're playing some Pat Goon, her favorite Christian singer. And then she's going through her books, uh, the daughter's books. Uh, what's the daughter's name? I'm blanking. <laughs> I'm blanking on the name. What, what's what's Tracy? Tra- Tammy? Tammy? Tammy, Tammy. So Tammy, uh, the mom's going through Tammy's books. And she picks up this book about nice girls uh, do do what. And she picks up the book. She goes, I'll tell you what nice girls do. Nice girls fuck. And it's like, what is happening? And then she immediately calls her mom a neo-Nazi 
slut pig. And then the mom goes on to say, you know, she's reading all these books by Harold Robbins and blah, blah, blah. And um, and then it just they, they say that the dad says, you know, you like that one retarded black boy uh, down the street. And it gets into washing her mouth out with soap. And then it all then you really know what's going on during that spanking scene. Because this is a full, like, I mean, this is a woman, but uh, Tammy is portraying kind of like the teenager, uh, still living at home, going to run away type thing. And then she gets uh, a spanking. And, uh, well, she gets a, she gets a spanking for having a diaphragm. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they find, you know, saying the diaphragm sets it all off. She's right. She's of course being safe. And then she says yeah. about, you know, she said, I, I just did it in case, you know, I, I fell in love. And that's when they say about the retarded black boy down the street or whatnot. And she said that you're going to get a licking more ways than one. And so the dad uh, puts her over his knee and starts to spank her. And then Tammy says that he was basically getting a boner through his pants and she could feel it. That's when everything spirals down of this somewhat in. uh, No, it's not somewhat. It is this incestual. I can't say that. Say that for me. Incestual. Incestual. Relationship. Between Tammy and her father. Uh, And then it gets weird. Um, Luckily, we don't have to deal with that bullshit very much with the incest portion. Um, But Tammy, like, wakes up in the middle of the night. Because she's sent home. She's sent to her room. So, uh, without dinner. And she wakes up in the middle of the night. And she does this voiceover throughout the film. Kind of explaining what she does. And she said she's going to get a, you know, a late night snack. So, she goes in the kitchen. And her father is drunk. And uh, he gets down on his knees and he starts saying some really weird shit. And Tammy's like, oh, yeah. Well, hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on one sec. Hold on one sec, Brad, because because you're right. This this should be addressed. The movie starts in medias res where <laughs> she is giving kind of her last will and testimony on a cassette tape. A great uh, voice. Which I think is a great, great juxtaposition. Great voiceover, yeah. Right. Oh, it's great. And I, I think it's also a great juxtaposition that she's doing it on a cassette tape on a shot on video uh, a film. But I I just I kind of wanted to give our listeners that maybe haven't seen Blonde Death and are interested. I want to just give them a second to breathe because we talked about incest. We talked about diaphragms. We talked about retarded black boys. All right. Now, Brad. Let's get in to <laughs> what the conversation between Tammy and uh and her father's oh, like man, it gets, before she it leaves. gets fucking weird. So <laughs> it gets so weird. The, the dad is leaving um he says there's an accident in Saudi Arabia and he has to go to fill in for this guy, which is the most absurd like little plot line that serves no purpose to the film whatsoever other than just to get him out of the house. But before he does, Mike, can you tell the audience what they would be in for in this conversation? That's ultra weird. Uh, I need to backtrack a second because one of the things I loved very early on in this movie is the fact that there's some visuals in the in the movie that the director 
is not calling your attention towards, but maybe you kind of sort of notice them, and maybe it'll kind of sort of paint a picture before we get to uh, the scene that Brad's talking about. And here are some of those visuals. This family that just moved to Anaheim, all their shit is like only packed in empty Michelob boxes. That's it. Uh, the the evangelical Christian mother, stepmother, not your real mother. Not, I'm not your fucking real mother. The only thing she drinks is like this, this short squat tab soda. I don't even think it's like eight ounces. It's not even like fucking airplane, uh, you know, size. We get to this scene. We see all these things in the background that we're not really noticing, but God damn it, if we paid attention to it, we could see this kind of like white trash fucking Deborah uh, Winger, like Scott Glenn, Tanya Harding uh, oh, soap God, opera that so was going to play trashy. out. <laughs> so fucking trashy. And we end up with with like a very, I, I call it like an X-rated girl in gold boot scene where uh, – or uh god i almost called her tanya tammy where tammy is in uh like a long uh you know uh bedroom shirt and she's she has like a very much like a victim mentality at this point and she's kind of apologizing to her father and the father has like this overbearing uh uh like he himself feels very uh, poorly about what he did to his daughter, but he he knows things the audience doesn't know, and he's about to fucking say what those things are that uh, that Tammy already knows. And man, do we learn about it in a very fucked up skeezy way? He says shit to his daughter like, "I'm sorry I whooped your ass. Let me kiss your ass to make it better." Uh, but it, it's not like the metaphorical kissing ass. Like he's grabbing cheek, like trying to pull trying to pull her 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 right buttocks into but his it's mouth. It's her reaction when when she when he does it like it's normal for her and she's like no daddy not right now. And I mean she really does have that oh. accent. But it's like wait a second, that's a no. But it's like so common right. no, she's, for her. She's completely normalized. Yeah. She's completely normalized uh, uh, the abuse. And, and the father, of course, knows. It, it's very interesting, like, performances because it's it's very well played, I think. Because it's played comedically for, like, very, like, gallows humor, of course. But it's also played very, like, earnestly where she really doesn't know that she's being abused. And he really knows that he's this monster and he's kind of playing it down like don't like he's like he's doing it for the actual emotion and like the affection you know but he but he says this fucking thing to her that's so gross and so far out and like so far beyond anything John Waters could have thought up where <laughs> where he says aren't you my little girl the the same girl that I let dance around in your mommy's real high in your real mommy's high heels on my face do you remember that? Oh, vey. It's just a weird conversation, and it and it really hits this odd. Like that's that's when the movie takes another turn and even gets darker, um, just because it has this sense of realism because it's shot on video. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's just it, it, and being being a dad, it's just it's just so weird. It really is, but it works because. In a way, like Mike said, it is comedically played, but also with like some serious tones. 
Um, just because of the, how the characters act, if they weren't acting that way, if they weren't kind of hillbilly white trash, um, you know, this movie would play a little bit differently. But since they are, uh, you know, Tammy's putting on this like huge accent uh, for, for for this role. But it really does hit this this chord that's just so weird when he says that. And another thing that really bothers me is right after that, um, right after that scene when the dad is away and he leaves, the mother threatens her. Um, she says, "I'm going to give you a Clorox enema." Um, that disturbs the fuck out of me. I don't know what it is, but I mean, that's like extreme, like physical. Like number one, she has this mental abuse. Then she has this physical abuse. And then this other side where she's being kind of tortured. Um, and, and it's just, it, it plays to kind of where this story goes and what Tammy ends up doing. Uh, it, it explains a little bit better because you realize that Tammy's going to do anything to get away from these people. Um, but so after all the uh, the parent abuse and things like that, it, it doesn't really come back into play. It moves on with Tammy. So um, uh, as we said, the father goes to Saudi Arabia um, and the mother goes and, and, and leaves for the weekend, leaves Tammy alone. And Tammy is excited. Uh, because she doesn't have to deal with any shit from her evil stepmother threatening her and giving her Clorox enemas. And she doesn't have to worry about her dad having any abusive bullshit or whatever it is they do behind closed doors. So Tammy's excited. Her mother went away on a month-long trip. Just her and her friends on an ocean liner ship. They made a big mistake by leaving her home. She became a fucking speed freak and entered into like a very psychosexual menage a trois relationship. <laughs> that that's not how the fucking Q-tip song goes. I'm sorry. Uh, he calls it a menage a trois. In the film, by the way. <laughs> um, so, so it, it at that point, uh, Tammy is left alone, and um, then we have, um, uh, I guess, a robbery, home invasion happen with um, with a guy that looks very similar to that guy that was on Felicity. What's that guy's name? He played in the Forsaken too, the the vampire movie. Jonathan Scratch. Scott Foley. No, Jonathan is Les- Scott Speedman. No, his name's Jonathan like Scratch, Scratch something. He plays also uh, the killer in the remake of Prom Night. Yeah, he should change his last name. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't dumb. remember that last name. So, anyways, we're, we're given this uh, this character that that goes and in, gets into Tammy's life, but at the same time, like immediately, she's attracted to him because she sees this as a way out. Um. It's basically uh, like it would be Stockholm syndrome, like times 20 sped up immediately. You know, she's kidnapped, but she falls for this guy immediately. Um, But he also has this sense, uh, you know, that she needs a way out. I, it's it's never is Tammy's age ever confirmed. It, it, oh, I don't think so. I don't think it is. And I think it's good that they didn't. We know that she didn't graduate high school and that her father was saving for college. So somewhere around like probably 17, 18. Yeah. So Tammy is given this, this gentleman that comes into her life who is um, 
starts off as this kind of crazy lunatic guy, but immediately she uh, falls for him. And he really does help her because he proves to her that um, before uh, Tammy's stepmother left, uh, he basically sets this – she set this whole thing up in order to run away with um, this preacher at the church. And uh, she has poisoned – tried to poison Tammy by poisoning her tang and her Tylenol. Um with uh, I guess cyanide is what uh, is what they they put. So um, he in a way saves her, and she sees her way out. So they end up um, planning on uh, running away together. Um, and that's when the movie takes another turn in this super weird way. Um, you know, she, she falls for him. And like in the first hour, she's like, I just want you like, she, she grabs the gun. Well, before that he ties her up and then he goes to take a shower. Cause he's sweaty. And he sings this song of just saying, Tammy, Tammy. T-, and then she's screaming in the other room. I hate that song. Stop it. Stop it. I hate that song. And she grabs the gun from him and points it in the shower, and he's like, he's like, hey, you know, everything's okay, you know, uh, you know, don't shoot. And then she's holding the gun, which is the poster, uh, it's, it's shot in the poster, and she's like, oh, uh, oh, I just want you to kiss me. And then he's like, oh, baby, and they turn this into this relationship. Um, which it runs smooth. It's not weird how it, how it evolves. It's just really quick. Like I said, it's like Stockholm syndrome, but immediately she falls for this guy and, 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 um, and goes with him. And then at that point, we're given another character to come in and that just changes the game completely. Um, and we just like, as, as the movie progresses, we're giving these extra characters and weirder relationships. And I don't want to spoil too much because I really think this film is special. Um, yeah. And I, and I hope we, yeah, you know, I, I was, I was thinking we were going to sit here and say everything, but the more we talk about blonde death and the more I realize, Hey, we're only like half an hour into the movie with our, our description. Like, God damn it. It's fucking $15 on Mondo It's $15 on DVD. It has special features. <laughs> it's very limited edition. Just fucking order it and watch this amazing movie. You can't you can't rip this uh from online. You can't you can't bootleg it. There's only a few people out there that, that have it right now. Just go yeah, fucking order is, it and watch it. It's this movie so goddamn has never been it. officially released, I don't think, other than the DVD uh, and VHS that Bleeding Skull put out. So the, it we has a weird release history. Um, I guess they released it on television at one time, um, like on like a public access show. But uh, other than that, it's screened at um, like personal copy of of the director in uh, in certain theaters during that time of the release, but never had a wide release or anything like that or a VHS release that I know of. Um but yeah, it's just it gets so fucking weird. 
Um, and in part of this film, in real life, it was you know they shot illegally at Magic Kingdom, um, and some crazy shit happens at Magic Kingdom. Um, but we're given this before we you know so I don't spoil anything. We're given this third character in this in this film, another bad boy, um, and that blossoms this relationship into what is called a menage a trois at one point where our three characters do everything together. Everything. Um, and it is a Bonnie. We're talking about they eat motherfucking beef and cheddar at Arby's together. And we're, 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 one we're talking about sauce. Bonnie and Clyde times two Clydes who are just going to suck, fuck and rob everybody. Um, and man, it's it's just there's so and what I love about the film, uh, you know, I think we talked enough about the plot so we don't give things away because uh, there's a lot more that happens in this film, a lot more. But it's certain lines of the dialogue that just really stand out and it's just so so weird. There's that one line that cracks me up is when um the two male uh two males they are on the couch. And he says, you want to arm wrestle? Loser takes it up the ass. And it's like, I don't want to play that again. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on? Like, like I, I want to know this, like the, the process of writing the script in this. Uh, you know, where did it come from? Like, how wild were these guys getting? I mean, we're, we're talking like, it, it's almost like if... It's like this fever dream if John Waters and Adam Rifkin made a film together. And it's just it had Yeah, I I mean I I I feel what you're saying, but I also feel like this guy is the only like James Dillinger is the only person who could have fucking made it. No, yeah, I, I don't at, I don't think anybody point. um like in another thing, you know, we say shot on video, which I mean shot on video has a certain have has these certain films, a certain aesthetic, but it blonde death could have been any budget. It could have been anything. Um, and there's nothing, especially when you, we talk about, even though blonde death is shot on video, this thing could have been a bigger movie. It, it could have been, but it's just, it's unique because you don't come across shot on video films that are this ambitious and I would almost say this is very well done because it's hard to create a film that has so many taboo things, but never cross the line. Um, it, Cause I don't, I don't feel it does. It does have some really fucked up dialogue. It has some fucked up shit, but we don't, we don't see it. That's one thing. We don't see anything well, fucked up. Yeah. We are just, oh, I would, I would say, Bradley F. Yes. I would say that this definitely crosses lines, but it's 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 certainly going to be up to the viewer uh to decide if like their line was crossed. And uh also to your point, like I you know, talking to the audience of uh like SOV fandom, <laughs> SOV fandom, is there really fucking anybody that's like release the Zack Snyder cut of fucking blonde death? <laughs> But like, but, but talking to, 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 to fans of SOV, like 
Yeah, the budget, at least in in my estimation of people who love SOV, like the budget isn't going to matter. Like we could we could see past that shit, and that's what uh, this medium and art forms all about. But this this movie is fucking phenomenal, and and Brad's right. Like if the if if uh, if they were given two million dollars to make this movie, it would be great. If they were given two thousand dollars to make this movie it would be great and guess what they're given two thousand dollars to make this movie and it's fucking great and you should i we don't want to give too much away but look in in the last i'd say half a decade we've talked about uh escape from tomorrow right the the movie that was shot illegally inside of disneyland yeah it's a big court case and that's a that's a uh that was shot on that was shot on video but high def video but uh, and then there's also um, I think of uh, exit through the gift shop, right? The the Banksy film that has some great Disneyland sequences. But this is fucking punk rock, man. This is this is some like OG fucking shooting in the Magic Kingdom bullshit. Like far more fucking punk and cool and badass and <laughs> transgressive than anything uh, uh, you've you've seen yet. You need to put $15 plus shipping and handling towards Blonde Death, and that shit is available online, and it's very limited edition. I, Brad, I don't, I don't want to give too much more away. I, I don't know. Do you have any final, final thoughts on Blonde Death? No, I mean, I, I think we've said our piece, and I hope that we talked you into it. But, I mean, we, on this show, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. On this show, we're going to talk about a lot of goofy movies. Um, we're going to talk all about a lot of bad movies that we find fun. Um, I guess you people, the normal, would consider them bad. I, I, I still have that thing where either you like a movie or not. Um, it's not one of those so bad it's good. I have a hard time saying that. I understand it, but I have a hard time saying that because I'm like, well, either you liked it or you didn't. You know. Um, but with 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 this show, we're going to be talking about a lot of goofy stuff, but. Of everything we're going to talk about, I would say Blonde Death is by far one of the best movies I, I've seen as far as weird pushing the envelope, pushing the limits, and trying to be, and it is different. Um, it's not too many movies I see that are like that, and it's tastefully done. In my eyes, um, I, I don't get offended in movies. They can do whatever they want. I watched, you know, Serbian film and I ate pizza and enjoyed it, um, even though it's super fucked up. But I, I, I watched Serbian film. I ate a baby and I enjoyed it, even though oof. that's fucked up. Um, yeah. Oh, cut that out. Um, so, but with with Blonde Death. It, it does so much in such, I guess, little time. I thought it was a lot longer. Um, but it, it just, it it does new shit every twist and turn. And for being a $2,000 budget shot on video, thriller drama, non-horror at all, it really does something unique and special. And I, I I'm, honestly, I, I wish this movie was celebrated more. I mean, certain shot on video movies, they've been released on VHS, DVD, and somehow some of them end up on Blu-ray. 
but Blonde Death just suffered a hundred percent. And it uh, thankfully for you know Zach Carlson and Joe Zambia from Bleeding Skull Video um, have resurrected this film and, and gave it uh, a, a new VHS release, DVD, and digital release. Um, uh, please uh, seek this film out. Um, you know, if shipping might be a little too much for you for one DVD, put Scary Tales in there as well, um, or Soul Tangler. Uh, yeah, well, you're going to need Scary Tales pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or uh, Soul Tangler, yeah. Yeah, so 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 any, any of their films, I mean, they really, uh, what I like about Bleeding Skull video uh, in the whole AGFA uh, deal is that they... They just don't release it because it's VHS. They're like, oh, let's just do this on VHS. No, they are picking them wisely and choosing reason. Like, they're just not just randomly releasing, re-releasing movies. <laughs> they are looking at them and 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 deciding what is best. I mean, everything that they've released from Soul Tangler to um, Heavy Metal Massacre to... Scary Tales to Blonde Death um, to Night Feeder, which uh, Night Feeder is okay. Um, but everything they've done is just so ambitious and so well done, and just need they just need to be seen because they're so weird and great. So in Bl- well, Blonde Brad, Death is a this, great addition to that line. This goes terrifically into the next part of the podcast before we head out of here about uh next episode's shows. So for episode 3, aren't we doing literally two movies from Bleeding Skull? Oh, I think we are. But I need to pull a Mike Delaney or I'm going to say Mike Delaney and jump back and go to what would we pair food-wise with these movies or with Blonde Oh, Death. oh my god. Brad, you're breaking my heart. I thought you skipped over that segment. I thought you didn't give a shit. Uh, oh my god, here's what I would pair with Blonde Death. All look, Blonde Death. I'm gonna. I burn a lot of calories watching Blonde Death, and you would think that oh, I would want like some high calorie foods, but I'm watching Blonde Death on a double feature with Sledgehammer, the movie we talked about earlier, and I ate all that fucking Totino bullshit and the mashed potatoes, and the fucking bowl of mustard. So all I want during Blonde Death, and I swear to God, my my opening course is a Michelob, and then I'm just going to wash it down with a diet tab. I love diet. I'm kicking heroin. I need some aspartame. Kicking it with diet tab. I. How about you, Brad? Brad, I think Brad what would you eat, Brad? I think the perfect meal for Blonde Death because it's so trashy and so grimy and sleazy is I would kick back with some fried chicken mm. and a moon pie. <laughs> oh, the little Debbie shit. Like, are you taking it out of fucking plastic? That, yeah. Like, crinkles yeah. too loud. It's like, <laughs> so maybe, maybe a, a moon uh. pie or two and a PBR. And 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 Paps Blue Ribbon and kick back with some blonde death because that meal and the best thing is that this movie's really grimy and weird and it's gonna make you want to take a shower and you might as well take a shit right afterwards because you're gonna want to get clean after this movie. 
Um, it, Wait, you take the shit after the shower? I take my shit before the shower. I mean, you take it before. I, I, I'm just, you know, hey, you you do whatever order you want. Maybe you got those little moist towelette wipes on your toilet, and you know, maybe you didn't have to take the shit before the shower. You had to take it after. And you have those little. Why is this like a? Why is this like a maybe situation? It's not like a tit for tit situation. It's like it is significantly more hygienic. To take your shit before the shower, and then you wash your little butthole in the shower, and then you fucking wash your butthole washer like after the shower. Like it, it's far more hygienic. Plus rim job. I I am not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, um, you know. Tonight, when we get in, because we only get that single, um, I promise that I will shit before I shower. Mm-hmm. Why do they call that single a twin, though, man? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Brad, what are we watching next week? We are going to hit up some more Bleeding Skull uh, video uh, movies with something um, special. I would say. So we have um, two James Bryan films, um, Jungle Trap and Run Coyote Run. And both of these films have unique stories of how they were released. And uh, these are two films that um, you couldn't have seen in the 80s or 90s or even the early 2000s because they were just released the past uh jungle trap was earlier uh uh you know or i guess late 2017 it was officially released for the first time there's no way possible to see jungle trap because it wasn't finished uh until bleeding skull got a hold of it and ryan cody run was unavailable for decades um until bleeding skull got a hold of that um released that like 2000 i think like 16 maybe um, so yeah, two James Bryan film, a well-known, uh, filmmaker had, uh, two, two lost movies and, um, and, uh, Bleeding Skull has done so much, uh, to release both of these films and we're going to be happy to talk about them on the next show. Yeah. And, and a quick plug, uh, for the, uh, the purchase of these two movies, both of them are still available on their native VHS format through Mondo T's. Uh, which licensed the the Bleeding Skulls videos, or you could get them if if you want them uh, digitally on DVD, because DVD stands for Digital Versatile Disc. The the V, I guess it could be video or it could be versatile. I it was video, but, uh, but the, you know whatever, whatever, whatever you say. I look, look. Who is ever looking up the the Hook food fight versus the Sledgehammer food fight? Could you also look up the V in DVD? Because we know it's not Vagine. Vagine, uh, vaginal. We, we it's either video or versatile. So look look up what that is, because no one who looks that up gets vagine or vagine. Anyway, hey, look, listen. Uh, I am Mike D. I am at Mike D underscore Splat on Twitter. Uh, the Splat comes from, of course, my uh, <laughs> my other podcast called the Splat House Podcast. I do with uh, my BFF, my other BFF, Brad, my other BFF, my my BFF with a vagine, my BFF with a vagine, Ms. Sarah Quakendall. 
uh, we <laughs> we talk all kinds of movies with uh, filmmakers and actors and playwrights and whatever. Just a bunch of um, faggy homo stuff. It's super fun. Brad, who are you on Twitter? I am. Uh, you could find me at Brad F Henderson on Twitter, and please. T- what does the F stand for? Yeah. Um, What's the F? Uh, it could be many for things. the love of our love of our for the love of our worthy. Um, it, it means a multitude of things. From the back to the middle and around again. Yep, that too. One hundred percent pure love. Pure love. He is at Brad F. Henderson on Twitter. We are T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. The T-H-E stands for the, and we are the premier podcast, man, for Shot on Video Movies. You can find us at T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. Look, listen, hey, play back the beginning of the show to find out how to rate, review, and have your fucking words misread by us on the show uh, as we play back love from all of us here at Screaming Pods. That is me, Brad, and everybody who has not been named yet because I am motherfucking cock-blocking them. This is Mike D. saying... It's like I always said, you can't have a ham sandwich without some fucking semen-ass mustard all over that fucking bitch. Good night. We love you. Bye. And as Tammy would say, I'd rather have sex than MTV. Or is sex better than MTV? (laughs) But anyways, thanks for listening. Uh, Watch Blonde Death. You won't regret it. Good night. Yeah, you won't. We love you guys. Bye. I walked inside my bed, looking at the pictures up on the wall. I need a little elbow room, and he's space man, that ain't all. Yeah, get on for his thing, you know. The folks up on my cage. Put a job with the dishes out, put the trash back in its place. Someday when I'm a man, gonna put them in their place. Cause my old man's a fat so he's got a pot belly for a mouth. Prisoner, I don't feel like a bastard case. I'm in the radio, I pretend you know.